you may leave now. We have a teacher, and uh, if you want to stay, you're welcome also to stay. So my name is Alex Martinez. I'm one of the pastors of this church. Uh, Pastor Jonas, uh, Elder Adam, I mentioned he's uh, out uh, on the rain with his son, uh, watching him play. <laughs> but uh, hopefully it goes well with him. Um, but um, this morning we're going to continue with our series on Luke. So if you can open your Bibles in Luke 13, 1 through 9, uh, page 872 and your English Bibles, in Spanish Bibles, is page 972. And uh, we also have it, we'll have it in the, on the screen. But uh, before we, we read, um, I'm just going to give you a little bit, if you haven't been with us. Uh, we've been studying the book of Luke, uh, the Gospel of Luke. And the series that we're doing is a certainty in Christ so Hopefully by mid next year we'll be done with this book. Otherwise, just bear with us, please. Um, but uh, last week, Pastor John explained about the warnings Jesus gives. He wakes us with a warning of fire, division, and judgment. And all of, three, all of, the, all of these three apply on Jesus in our behalf. Today we will see how two important events take place and Jesus takes advantage of them to give his final warning. So let's look, let's read Luke 13, 1 through 9. Um, again, page 872 in English, Spanish 972, or we can look on the screen. It says... There were some present at that very time who told him about the Galileans whose blood Pilate had mingled with their sacrifices. And he answered them, Do you think that these Galileans were worse sinners than all the other Galileans because they suffered in this way? No, I tell you, but unless you repent, you will all likewise perish. Or those 18 on whom the tower of Siloam fell and killed them, do you think that they were worse offenders than all the other others who lived in Jerusalem? No, I tell you, but unless you repent, you will all likewise perish. And he told this parable. A man had a fig tree planted in his vineyard, and he came seeking fruit on it and found none. He said to the vine dresser, Look, Look, for three years now I have come seeking fruit on this fig tree. And now, and I found none. Cut it down. Why should it, why should it use up the ground? And he answered him, Sir, let it alone this year also, until I dig around, around it and put on my manure. Then, if it should bear fruit next year, well and good. But if not... You can cut it down. Let's pray. Father, uh, I pray that you would be with us. Touch my lips that I can express your word. And Father, I pray that you would touch our ears and our hearts, that we can listen to your word 
and we can respond accordingly. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. So there was a, a guy riding his bike, and on the way, he saw an older woman carrying all her groceries in a big paper bag. So suddenly, the bottom of the bag ripped, and all the groceries fell into the ground. The biker had been staring at her, and he began to laugh and mocked her misfortune. <laughs> he was so distracted that he was not paying attention to his own situation, and he ran into a tree. For an Old Testament reading, we read about Job, how a God-fearing man suffers by losing all his possessions and wealth, all his children, even being afflicted by infirmity. It says, but in all of this, Job did not sin. Then we have the friends who come and confront Job, asking him to repent from his sins and wrongdoings, thinking that Job deserves what he is going through. Aren't we sometimes like that? We are ready to criticize or judge, bringing our thoughts to the conclusion that people suffer because they deserve it, because they are worse than me or that I'm better than them, losing perspective on our actual condition. This morning, we will see that Jesus is giving an ultimate warning using the events that have happened on their local news to challenge his followers not to judge those who suffered, but what they think they deserve because of their traditions, but instead learn from it by repenting and trusting in God. We'll see how we can learn from misfortunes happening to others, or even us, but instead of judging, we can repent and learn fully to trust God. Last week, Pastor John noted that Jesus is the one that went through the fiery wrath and judgment of God. He had to take the bitter cup, dying on the cross for our sins. And as we start chapter 13, it is the same context as the previous warnings. This final comes also with a long, loud warning, but it doesn't come alone, just the same as the other ones. It comes accompanied with the most nurtured, loving action as he is giving his life for us on the cross. God's judgment is laid on Jesus on the cross. And because of that, we can repent and fully trust in him to produce good fruit. So because Jesus died on the cross and God put all his judgment in and wrath on him, we can repent and we can fully trust in him to produce good fruits. So let's look at our first point. We repent. As we read, Jesus received two reports, one about some Galileans being killed by the orders of Pilate, and the 18 people killed by the Tower of Siloam. He says in verse 2, Do you think that these Galileans were worse sinners than all the other Galileans because they suffered in this way? Some scholars have explained that, the most, that most likely these Galileans were zealots who were radical Jews who sought the violent overthrow of the Roman regime in Judea. 
For that reason, Pilate saw the opportunity to get rid of them while they were in the temple presenting sacrifices to God. That is why it says their blood was mixed with their sacrifices. That is an awful way of dying. Or in verse 4, Jesus refers to the 18 whom the tower fell and killed them. Do you think that they were worse offenders than all of the others who lived in Jerusalem? In ancient times, it was often assumed that calamity would fall only on those who were extremely sinful, as we read in, in Job, right? Or as we saw in Job. The belief was that good things happened to good people and very bad things happened to very bad people. And even today, in our culture, it, said, it says, what goes around comes around, also called karma, right? If you do something bad, then what's expected? For you to receive something bad, or if you do something good. And I went online, and there's so many, like thousands or millions of examples on, as they say, karma, right? I mean, they did that bad, and then, you know, anyway. As we mentioned in Job's case, his friends are rebuking him and asking him to repent from his evil ways, assuming that it is Job's sin that is causing all the terrible things in his life. In his life. Jesus rebukes his listeners not to judge but repent, to discern, discern that these tragedies are not linked as a consequence of their sin. Sometimes they are. And it's obvious. But right here, Jesus is saying, no, otherwise everyone would be dead, right? Everyone deserves to die. So that's it. Instead, to see the events as an opportunity to self for self-reflection. What if that happened to me? What if I was presenting sacrifices and I got killed? Or what if I was just walking around and then a wall fall on me, right? So we have a saying in Spanish that goes more like, I mean, goes like this. Cuando las barbas, barbas is beard, de tu vecino veas afeitar, pon las tuyas a remojar. So means that, or literally translates like, when you see your neighbor's beard being shaved, start soaking yours in the ancient or even today. But if you put warm water, it, it softens your skin and it's easier for you to, to shave. So it's the same, same uh, context. It's meant to teach that when something happens near to you, the same could happen to yourself. For this reason, you should be ready or try to avoid it. That is why Jesus then is asking his listeners to repent. He repeats the same phrase two times. Unless you repent, you will all likewise perish. Unless you repent, you will all likewise perish. Analyzing the word repent in its original Greek, it is a present active continuous tense. Okay, you uh, English scholars. <laughs> present active continuous tense, meaning a change of mind and conduct in a lineal action that is a continuous change. It is not just to repent once and that's it. But yes, repent once, but continuous repentance, continuous repentance. Jesus is saying to his listeners, if you don't constantly repent, you will also die. Just like those you were judging. 
And let me remind us that the death that Jesus is talking about here is not only physical death, but spiritual death. The same death Adam and Eve suffer once they disobey God by taking the, from the forbidden fruit. So Jesus is saying, yes, sooner, sooner or later, you will die physically, right? But when, when death suddenly comes at your door, that you will not perish going to hell. But may you be ready, so repent. In the case of the Galileans, as they were presenting their sacrifices to God, it did not help at all as they were killed while doing it, you know. So, uh, as a commentator said, even the blood of their sacrifice, nor their own blood, could save them from death. They could not have done anything to prevent their death. In both cases, whether it looks like they deserve dying or not, repentance is universal, since no one is without sin, as we read in verse 3 and 5. So the consequence of not repenting is death. And again, it's eternal death, eternal suffering. So looking at the news, we see a war taking place today. Thousands, thousands of Ukrainians have died, as well as several thousands of Russians. Just looking at the different statistics, they show that the total Ukrainians' deaths rises approximately, approximately to 1,300 soldiers and 636 civilians. But the Russian soldiers' lose, losses have risen to 10,000, according to different news broadcasts. On Wednesday, this past Wednesday, there was a tsunami. I don't know if you, you heard the news, but uh, a tsunami hitting Fukushima, Japan. Thankfully, there were only few deaths. But it had the whole country holding its breath because of their other tragedies that have hit the region. The New York Times reported that Fukushima crisis started in March 2011, almost exactly a year ago, with a huge earthquake and tsunami that ripped through the northeastern part, eastern part of Japan and killed more than 19,000 people. Shortly af after, there were subsequent nu nuclear meltdowns of three of the plant's six reactors, the worst nuclear disaster since Chernobyl. Tens of thousands of people fled the area around the plant or were evacuated. evacuated. In many cases, they never returned home. In the first case, as we know, so many Christians have been afflicted by this war. We can also see that according to the news, Russia is having more life casualties than Ukraine. And we might say, well, at least they deserve it because they are the instigators. There's, they started the war, right? Or we might even say, this might give a lesson to their leader. So this might teach him. In Japan's case, it is sad that after a year of that calamity, a tsunami hits again and reminds all of that uh, a year ago, what happened, uh, the casualty that happened last year. So we may think they deserve it, for most of them are non-God-fearers. Well, the Lord is saying, do not judge, but look into your own heart. You are as bad as anybody else. 
you deserve to die unless you repent. Matthew Henry, it's a, a theologian and commentator, he says, We cannot judge men's sins by their sufferings in this world, for many are thrown into the furnace as gold to be purified, not as dust and chaff to be consumed. The Lord says in Matthew 7, 1, he says, Judge not that you be not judged. So don't be so confident on how good you are, measuring your goodness by your well-being or how well your life is going. One day you will face the Lord. So repent. And if you have your bulletin, uh, there's a, a, a quote from Thomas Fuller. It says, you cannot repent too soon because you do not know how soon it may be too late. Again, you cannot repent too soon because you do not know how soon it may be too late. And I mean, that's the case, you know. No, 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 no. Why repent now? I mean, I'm young and I have so many years in front of me. So why not take advantage? And then later on, when I'm like Alex or, or some other older people, I mean, then I would repent, and that's, that's the perfect timing. I don't know when we're going to be called by the Lord, so repent. If we think that we repent once, expecting an automatic full change, and from now on we are going to go in the right direction, we're wrong. We must repent constantly because we are fallen creatures and we sin constantly. Re repent from judging others. Repent from your own goodness. Even at times we may think that we are living in a continual repentance. As uh, Martin Luther taught that he had to constantly repent from every single little sin he did. Otherwise, if he died without confessing and repenting from even the smallest sin, he would immediately go to hell. Repent even from thinking that our good act of repentance... Is going to save us from death. Doing it like an automatic response when we give into temptation. It is not the wording or the right of, of, of repenting, but it is contrition of the heart, as King David said in Psalm 51. True repentance comes from the depth of our hearts recognizing that our salvation is not based on our repentance, but based on the one that is calling us to repent. Repentance is the human response to God's initiative and forgiveness so that we will not die. The blood that Christ paid on the cross for our sins is all sufficient for our salvation. We just need to respond constantly in repentance. Not to keep our salvation, but to recognize our inability to obey as he obeyed. Our inability to be good as he was good. Our inability to love as he loved. Our inability to pay what he paid. As we see, even our continuous repentance needs Christ all over. So Jesus calls us to come humbly, taking these current events 
without judging, but repenting. And as a result of true repentance, we can fully trust in God to produce good fruits. So that's our second, second point. Fully, fully trust God to produce good fruits. As we read the parable of the barren tree, we see that the owner of the vineyard is looking for fruit in his fig tree, but can't find any. So calling the vine dresser tells him to cut it down. For after three years, the tree has not produced any fruit. According to many scholars, the interpretation of this parable shows that the owner of the vineyard is God. He owns not only the vineyard, but the fig tree. He's the owner and can do anything he wants to do with it, whether with his vineyard or whether with the fig tree. He can chop it down or even let it live longer. The fig tree represents in the largest sense the people of Israel, but also to any individual person or listener. The vine dresser, it's said that is Jesus who intercedes for his people, doing the work for it to bear good fruit. It is easy to note that the previous verses and this parable are closely related. The first part says that if they don't repent, they will die. But looking to this parable with a magnifying glass, it shows them that it is not by fear that he wants them to repent, but by trusting God. As Exodus 34, 6 to 7 states, who is God? It says, the Lord, the Lord, a God merciful and gracious, slow to anger and abounding in steadfast love and faithfulness. It is in this understanding that Jesus is going to work, knowing that he is interceding for his people, ready to get low to the ground and get dirty, giving time for it to mature and produce good fruit. Jesus in this parable is inviting them not only to repent, but to get to know him, to enjoy the work he came to do, to fully trust in him that he will accomplish the dirty work for them so that they can be fully cleansed in him. As a result, they can trust in him and produce good fruit. Otherwise, they will be cut down and perished. The emphasis on the parable is that the fig tree can't do anything by itself. It needs the patience and mercy of the owner of the vineyard, not to cut it off from the get-go. Sufficient grace to let the vine dresser do the hard work. It has been left alone for three years, and as a result, no fruits. The tree needs the constant hand of the master so it can start producing. It needs to put its trust in the only one that can do something for it. Even if it requires for it to suffer when dug around, being pruned, and as a final result, to live. In the same way, we need to trust in our merciful and gracious Father, who has been slow to anger. He has given us the vine dresser, his son, who humbled himself and did the hard work, not only to prepare the soil, but he laid his life in it so that we can produce good fruit. We are reminded in John 12, 24, it says, Truly, truly, 
I say to you, unless a grain of wheat falls into the earth and dies, it remains alone. But if it dies, it bears much fruit. In the beginning, we saw that Jesus is rebuking his followers for judging the Galileans or those who died in Siloam. But as we read from Matthew Henry's commentary, we cannot judge men's sins by their sufferings in this world. For many are thrown into the furnace as gold to be purified. When we see someone suffering, or, or even if we are experiencing any type of suffering, let's take some time to reflect. If necessary, repent from our sinful desires. Let's trust God, the Lord of the vineyard, that he has sent his vine dresser to give everything for us so we can produce good fruits and live for his glory. We fully trust, trust God when we abide in him. When we know and rejoice in his will, when we seek constantly how to honor him and obey him, it is then that we produce good fruit. And as we had studied before in this series and throughout the Bible, fruits of love for God and our neighbor. The Lord Jesus said in John 15, 5, I am the vine, you are the branches. Whoever abides in me and I in him, he, he, he it is that bears much fruit. For apart from me, you can do nothing. Looking back at our text, the Lord of the vineyard says, if it produces fruit, fine, but if it does not, cut it down. The consequence of not producing fruit is death. The consequence of not repenting is death or spiritual death, as we mentioned before. If the result of fear of eternal death, eternal suffering, if you're shaking and just kind of anguishing about what's going to happen, if that is producing repentance, repentance in us and trusting God to produce good fruit, it's not bad. It's okay. It's okay. We can, we can come and confess our sins and be repentant. But that is not what Jesus is wanting to say or, or what the objective of this passage. As we can see, his desire is for us to realize that apart from him, apart from Jesus, we can do nothing. The more we try to do to feel better with ourselves, the more Counter, counterproductive it is because we will be thinking that we are self-sufficient and self-sustainable and we're not. We are completely useless without him. It is like, like being in quicksand. The more we do to get out, the faster and deeper and lower we get, right? And the more we move, the faster we go down. So, Instead of trying to do good things to feel good with ourselves or judge others to feel better about ourselves, we look deep into our hearts and find the depths of our sin. It is then when we realize how much we need him and that apart from him, we can do nothing. It is not by fear of dying, but joyfully seeking a relationship with him. Enjoying a close communion with the Lord of the vineyard and his vine dresser that we can produce great fruits. And not only that, but receive life and life in abundance. 
If you are tired of running in the hamster wheel or exhausted from trying to get out of the quicksand because you realize that you can't, I invite you to repent from your sin. Repent from trying and come to him. Trust that he has sent his son to die on the cross for your sin. Receive his love and forgiveness. Enjoy a close relationship with him and produce good fruits. Let's pray. Father, we come to you recognizing that we cannot do anything without you, Father. And thanks to your son, we can even come to you and, and even repent, not because of our wording or, or because we are uh, so good that we can repent, but just because of Jesus, we can come to you and because he is interceding for us, because he died on the cross for our sins, that we can come to you. Thank you for the resurrection we have in Christ and the hope of eternal life. Thank you for that hope that gives us joy and helps us to trust in you and produce good fruits. Uh, be with us and help us trust in you more. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.